From WXXI News, this is Unleashed, the pet show on Connections. I'm Megan Mack. We're honoring Veterans Day on this month's episode of Unleashed. And what better way to do it than to talk to a local veteran who's preparing for his future with the help of a dog. We'll introduce you to Hans, a rescue dog who is providing emotional support to veterans in our area. And later in the hour, what happens to pets after their owners go into hospice care? We'll tell you about an organization that helps families care for pets and reunite them with their owners in hospice when the love of man's best friend matters most. But first, we want to hear from you. Dr. Stephanie Raven from Stone Ridge Veterinary Hospital is in studio with us today. You can ask her a question about your pets either health or behavior questions by calling 844-295-TALK. That's 844-295-8255. Or you can email your question to me at connections at wxxi.org. Or you can also find me on Twitter at mmacmedia or by using the hashtag unleashed. Dr. Raven, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about Stone Ridge Veterinary Hospital. We are a full-service veterinary hospital located in Greece, um, right off Ridge Road, kind of behind the Starbucks there. Um, We perform surgeries. We do full health checks, vaccines, um, flea and tick preventative, heartworm preventative, all the kind of normal stuff you would expect. Mm -hmm. And I know we were talking a little bit off the air about the common issues you're seeing, some of the questions. Mm -hmm. And one of those is you've seen an uptick in ticks, no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) But tell us a little bit about what kind of questions your your patients have. Well, we've... I think a lot of people assume as we get into the cooler months that they're okay to stop putting the flea and tick preventative onto their pets monthly. Um, But in actuality, right now, in the cooler, more damper months, this is the kind of weather that ticks prefer. So we've been seeing a lot of people bringing in their dogs, and cats too, actually, um, with ticks on them. And we've had to pull off quite a few ticks. And the, the negative side of that is that a lot of these ticks are actually carrying different diseases, most commonly Lyme disease, um, which can be quite serious in our in our um, canine patients so we usually once we pull a tick off we wait about six weeks to perform a blood test that's kind of a preliminary test to see if they've been exposed to Lyme disease and if they have you know there are other things from there that we recommend doing Um, but the best thing you can do is continue with that preventative and you know if you go outside you go out on a hike when you get home check your pet for for ticks Uh, and that's that's one of the best things you can do. I had to pull a tick out of my nine-month-old golden retriever Mm -hmm. about a month ago. I didn't realize it was a tick at first. It just felt like a bump. Mm -hmm. And I asked a friend, a colleague here, and she explained how to do it. And Mm -hmm. it was disgusting. Yeah. (laughs) It was was not a fun experience. Um, But for those who may have not had to do that before and Mm -hmm. don't have a friend, they can ask, what do you recommend Mm -hmm. for people who try to take care of that at home? Or should we really be bringing our pets into the vet's office? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I would recommend coming into the vet hospital. Um, Most of the time, even a technician can show you how to take them off. We use actually special instruments, sometimes called a tick spoon. The important thing is removing the entire tick. Mm -hmm. Basically, the tick will implant its mouth parts into the dog or person's skin. Um, And the important thing is getting the entire mouth parts out. If you leave a little bit behind, you leave the head behind, it can cause a localized reaction that can become infected. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we do is we have this little spoon that kind of um, goes right underneath where the tick is, right against, flush against the dog's skin, and we just spin that spoon around until we can just easily lift the tick right off of the the dog's skin. And that way we know we've gotten the entire tick out and we're less likely to see a localized reaction like that. Mm -hmm. I think I was lucky because the tick wasn't that far in yet, Mm -hmm. but what about dogs or cats where the tick is 
almost fully immersed? I mean, what happens at that point? Well, for the most part, they're really just going to have their mouth parts into into the um, dog's skin. Um, the concern is the longer it's there, the more blood it drinks and the fatter it gets. Um, those are the ones that you get more concerned about because they've been there for longer. There's a higher likelihood they could have transmitted some kind of disease such as Lyme disease. Um, so those are the ones, you know, we're always willing, at least at our hospital, to have them come in. We show them how to take it off. And then usually we'll recommend using some kind of preventative if they're not already on it. Mm-hmm. No preventative is really 100% foolproof. And that's why we definitely recommend checking um, your, your pets for example, I went to Durand Eastman Park a few weeks back with my dog, um, and she's on a very good preventative. I got back to the car, checked her, pulled four ticks off oh, of her. Wow. Yeah, they hadn't even attached yet; they were just still crawling in her fur. Oh. But still, they were there, and you know they were going to potentially have the opportunity to embed in. Um, but a lot of times, these really good uh, flea and tick preventatives will kill them off within the first four or so hours, oh, okay. even if they have actually embedded in. And so then, the four to six weeks after, mm-hmm. you want to have a Lyme disease yeah. test? We usually wait about the six weeks. Okay. Yeah, the test that we do um, is just a screening test. It tests to see if they've been exposed to it. We don't know if that means if it's an active infection or not, because some of these dogs can actually fight off the disease themselves. Um, but, and most dogs don't even ever show clinical signs of Lyme disease. Um, so that's where we're not always super concerned about it, but it can be concerning. Um, and one of the most concerning types of the Lyme disease infection is called Lyme nephritis. It's where it can affect the kidneys. And that can be very serious and that can be life-threatening. So usually the first test we'll do is what's called a urinalysis. We collect a fresh urine sample and we check for excessive protein. If it's there, then um, usually we'll recommend treating the patient for Lyme disease with an antibiotic called doxycycline. That's usually a month-long treatment. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing the phone already starting to ring. Sure. So let's head to our phones. Sandra in Canandaigua, you are up first. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, suddenly my cat has started biting me. He mm-hmm. jumps up on my lap mm-hmm. and snuggles down and all of a sudden turns and bites me <laughs> out of a clear blue sky. Sure. How, how old is he? Uh, he's about eight years old, as far as I can tell. Okay. I mean, it could mean, you know, if you're petting him in a specific area that he doesn't like, um, that could be potentially why he's biting you. It could also mean that he's feeling painful for some reason. Um, So it might be worthwhile taking him into your veterinarian and having a good exam done just to see if they could potentially find a source of pain or discomfort um, because that could, he could be, you know, they can't speak to us. So that's kind of their way of telling us, yeah, there could be something wrong. So it would be worth having him checked out to see if there, we could find something that's that's wrong, and then that could be addressed. And cats okay. usually hide their symptoms. Their- oh, absolutely. Yes. Cats are masters of hiding illness. Um, a lot of times... We- yeah, owners don't even realize there's a problem until they're very, very ill. So it's oh, that's why dear. it's always worthwhile having that yearly checkup. Once we recommend c- cats turn 10 years old, we actually recommend doing semi-annual exams, so every six months, just to make sure we can keep up on trying to find potential illness or disease and you know even running some baseline blood work and that kind of stuff. So that's probably what I would recommend. There's a, there's a chance that your cat could um, you know, be, be feeling some kind of pain. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, He's an outdoor cat. He's very protective. Yeah. That's that's another thing too. He could have picked up some kind of you know disease or something outside, intestinal parasites, fleas or something. You know that could be making him uncomfortable. Yeah, he mm-hmm. takes. We do that roundup thing, and that roundup it's mm-hmm. outdoors. Um, that mm-hmm. thing that you put on the cat's back every month. Oh know? yes, the 
flea intake preventative. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Dental yeah. disease is also another common issue in cats as they get right. older. His mouth could be hurting him. And, you know, even if his mouth oh. hurts, they, he's still going to eat. Most of the time, they still know that they need to eat to survive. So that doesn't usually stop them. But some cats can have quite significant mouth pain, and that can actually affect their personality, too. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Sandra. Mm-hmm. Bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. So good. Cats cats hiding their symptoms, always mm-hmm. a good mm-hmm. idea to take them in if you notice some unusual behavior. Absolutely. Hiding, um, not eating as much, um, drinking more than normal. Those are some of the common things you can see with a lot of these common illnesses. Um, so that's definitely a reason to get your cat into the vet and have them checked out. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Speaking of dental issues... What about toothpaste? I know mm-hmm. that there's some debate over what kinds of toothpaste should mm-hmm. be used in dogs and cats. What do you recommend? Definitely a pet-specific toothpaste. Uh, you don't want to use the ones that have fluoride for us. Um, most of the time now, the pet toothpastes are chicken or beef-flavored, so it entices them a little bit more to enjoy the toothbrushing experience. Um, <laughs> you know, For example, my cat, I don't think I would be able to brush his teeth if he didn't love the chicken flavor so much. Um, <laughs> so that helps. Um, but really, it's just the brushing action itself that is going to help to get rid of that tartar that builds up on the teeth, just like we would brush our teeth every morning and every night. Um, You know, it's definitely something we recommend doing if you can train them into enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Amy and Henrietta, you are up next. Go Mm -hmm. ahead. Hi, I have another cat question. Sure. Um, My cat, we adopted her from a rescue. Mm -hmm. Um, When the rescue got her, she was just a few weeks old. And then when we got her, she was about six months old. Mm -hmm. And we almost never see her groom herself. Mm-hmm. She's a short hair cat, and every now and then she does get a couple of little mats. And mm-hmm. when we try to brush her, she's very aggressive, mm. and or she well she resists it. And if we right. persist, she becomes very aggressive. Okay. Um. So I know that grooming is really important to keep cat healthy, right? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, you, when they get mats like that, it can it can tighten up the skin. It can hurt. Um, something that I would recommend around the time that you're doing grooming is kind of training her into enjoying the experience, giving her treats or giving her a little bit of wet food or if she likes her kibble, you know, using that around the time that you're trying to brush her, it makes it into more of a positive experience and it's not okay. quite so scary if she doesn't like it. Um, and that way, you know, you have to be persistent every time you're doing it. You have to give her those treats. You have to give her that positive reinforcement is what we call it. Um, and with time, she'll become more relaxed and she'll become more used to it. And then hopefully you'll have an easier time um, brushing her and, and grooming her. Um, I don't know that you can really train a cat into grooming themselves. If they do it, they do it. And most cats should. Um, but you know, always taking her into the vet and having the mats clipped out is not a bad idea. I would really never recommend taking scissors to her if they get bad enough because you can end up actually cutting their skin very easily. Um, usually yeah, using yeah. using clippers uh, is a lot is a lot better, the electric clippers. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's not really a hygiene problem if she's not licking herself and cleaning herself. I mean, mm-hmm. for the most part, I've really never seen her do it. 
Yeah, she may be doing it when you're sleeping or when you're not home, potentially, um, or okay. if she's off hiding. I mean, every cat will do it to a degree, um, especially, you know, after they go to the bathroom, they'll try to keep their, keep their rear end clean. Um, you know, if she's not, you know, and that's the other thing is you want to keep her weight weight down. The heavier they get, the harder it is for them to groom as well. Um, so we okay. tend to see the larger cats come in with, with fairly matted fur because they have a harder time reaching the areas that need to be groomed. Um, so it's very likely that she's grooming herself. She may be doing it kind of behind closed doors when you're not watching. Um, but, you know, keeping her, her rear end clean is, is important so that she doesn't develop infections or anything like that. We don't want them to overgroom. on the other hand. Licking too much can actually irritate the skin. So keeping an eye out for red skin, that kind of stuff, is something that's worthwhile as well. Great. Thanks, Amy. And we have one more call before we get to our break. And this is Lauren in Chile. Hi, Lauren. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm calling about my dog, and mm-hmm. she's had a weight change over the last probably since January. She was mm-hmm. about 45 pounds, and then mm-hmm. recently she was 38 pounds. Mm-hmm. She does have separation anxiety, mm-hmm. and we've recently in the summer put her on um, Trazodone and Xanax. Okay. So, And she's on very low doses of those. Mm-hmm. And we've actually in the last two months have started crating her. Okay. She used to be free reign, but she's gotten into too many things. Right. Um, so I did at her annual visit get blood work, and mm-hmm. everything came back fine. Okay. Do you have any idea? Because like, seven pounds is a lot. On yeah, that's that can be significant. How how old is she? Ten. Sorry. Ten. She's a beagle mix, so she okay. does. She probably has terrier, so she is fairly mm-hmm. high energy for ten years. Sure. Oh. Okay. And her appetite, how has that been? Fine. I mean, she gets wet and dry food. Okay. And so. and you haven't noticed a decrease in appetite. How, mm-hmm. how about um, any vomiting or diarrhea? No. Okay. So, you know, preliminary blood work tests come back normal. Um, Usually the next steps that we recommend, you can increase the amount of food you're feeding her to see if she can actually put that weight back on. Um, You know, that's a possibility. If you have you recently switched her diet or anything like that? No. Okay. Yeah. So I would maybe try increasing the food content or the amount you're feeding her by a little bit just to see if that can actually help her to put a little bit of weight back on. Then the next steps as far as diagnostic tests that we would do, either x-rays or possibly even an an abdominal ultrasound. Um, The ultrasound is a little bit more specific of a test. It gets a little bit more information, um, but it looks at all the organs in the abdomen, the liver, the kidneys, the spleen, the adrenal glands, the stomach and intestines, and that can actually point out are there any abnormalities there, um, such as masses or what we would call diffuse thickening of the intestinal tract? You know, anything like that that could then push us to the next step. Um, you know, could there actually be a problem there? Um, a lot of times they can see potential abnormalities, but can't actually get a definitive diagnosis that way. So if they found something, they, you know, your veterinarian may recommend the next step being possibly a biopsy um, to try to get a little bit more information so that they can know how to better. Treat treat that. Um, You know, some dogs, as they get older, they can just lose a little bit of weight. Sometimes anxiety can cause them, you know, to, you know, maybe she's pacing or a little bit more than normal. She definitely shakes. Like yeah. constantly in the morning yeah. until the Xanax kicks in. Right, right. And that's, I think that's good that you're helping her with, with, um, 
with her anxiety with those medications. Um, they're, they're usually pretty good medications. Um, but, you know, the positive reinforcement is also another thing you don't want to forget about. Um, just like a person going to see a therapist might get put on medication, but at the same time they're going to continue talking about their issues. It's sort of similar for dogs. They need that positive reinforcement. They need that um, support from the owners to try to make them feel more confident and more comfortable. Um, so that's definitely something. But usually the first thing I would do is try to feed her a little bit more and see if she can put the weight back on. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I have just a quick other follow-up question. Mm-hmm. So she is on um, Xanax and Trazodone. Mm-hmm. Do you have, recommend any natural supplement to add because it's not quite uh, curing yeah. her, I guess you could sure. say? Sure, Is there anything, like, natural? Yeah, so there are things like... Um, uh, there are pheromone therapy, so um, we we have a particular product at our hospital called a, a Nurture Calm Collar, um, and it's it is a natural pheromone that they found that mother dogs give off to the puppies when they're nursing. It helps to feel that, them to feel more relaxed and comfortable, um, and that also comes in the form of sprays and room plugins and things that can help. It doesn't work for all dogs, but it's definitely worth trying. It's because it's a natural supplement. Things like thunder shirts also can help if she's more nervous when you're not home. You know. Maybe having the thunder shirt on her when you're when you're not there um, can help to make her feel more relaxed. That's something that can easily be done. Um, you know, if it was getting so out of hand that she was even potentially injuring herself while you were not there, there's always the option of going to see a veterinary behaviorist. Um, that's somebody that did additional schooling beyond the regular four years of vet school to just focus on the behavior of cats and dogs. And really, the the best one I would say is at Cornell. So it's a little bit of a hike to get there, but it's it's worthwhile. They, you know, they'll go through every aspect of your dog's life and recommend things that you can change to to make them um, feel more comfortable. But it's definitely a process and it's something you got to work with to see those results. Mm-hmm. All set, Lauren? What? Oh, there, are you still there? Yeah. Okay. Did that help? Yes. Thank you <laughs> okay, very much. Okay, good. Thanks You're for welcome. calling in. Okay. I'm late for a break. You're listening to Dr. Stephanie Raven from Stone Ridge Veterinary Hospital. She's in studio with me today. We'll take our short break, and when we come back, she'll answer more of your questions about pet health. And then we'll meet Hans, a dog who was rescued from a kill shelter and is now making a difference in the lives of local veterans. That's all next on Unleashed. Major funding for Unleashed the Pet Show on Connections comes from Rufus Kendig, the Richard T. Bell Foundation, and from the Lilliputian Foundation. Little grants making a big difference. And the financial advisors of the Sartini Group at Morgan Stanley, 585-987-6053. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. Moonlight is the story of a lifetime, and it's now playing at the Little. Critics call it a stunning American masterpiece, one of the best films of the decade, and an achingly beautiful story. Directed by Barry Jenkins, Moonlight is a tale of identity and sexuality that follows three chapters of one man's life in breathtaking manner. For more on Moonlight, along with the Movies and a Microphone podcast, visit thelittle.org. Welcome back to Unleash, the pet show on connections. I'm Megan Max, sitting in for Evan Dawson today. 
We're answering your questions about pet health and behavior. And Dr. Stephanie Raven from Stone Ridge Veterinary Hospital is in studio with us. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. You can ask her a question about your pet's health and behavior by calling 844-295-TALK. That's 844-295-8255. Or if you're in Rochester, you can call 263-WXXI. That's 263-9994. You can also tweet your question to hashtag Unleashed or to me at mmacmedia. You can also email your question to connections at wxxi.org. So lots of ways to get in touch with us. But I'd like to turn now to a story that honors Veterans Day, which of course we celebrated a week ago. And WXXI's Beth Adams met a dog who's making a real difference in the lives of some Rochester area veterans. And she takes us now to Richard's house, which provides shelter for the homeless veterans as they prepare for their future. Air Force veteran Austin Kozik is smartly dressed in a jacket and tie when he meets me at the gate. At the end of the leash he's holding is a friendly but impeccably mannered black lab with a big smile. His name is Hans. Bud, huh? You a good boy? You been a good boy today? Huh? I don't know. Huh? What are you doing? Looking for treats? Always looking for treats, huh? Yeah. I have two copies. What is that? Hans lives here at Richard's house with veterans who need some help transitioning into civilian life. They can get mental health and addiction treatment services as the first steps to building their future. I've been here about four, four or five weeks with Hans. Met him um, back in uh, September. So I take him to the park and let him run around and dig and I don't know, do whatever he wants to do. Yeah, no, he comes upstairs, he'll sneak in my room and jump in bed and wake me up in the morning. Isn't that right? Slobber me first thing in the morning. It turns out Hans has something in common with his veteran friends, according to Lynette Loomis. She's a board member at the Veterans Outreach Center. I think there are a lot of veterans who really need to be heard. Um, they need a sense of belonging. They need a sense of hopefulness that they can have a fresh start. And for some of our veterans here, they need a safe place to live. Very similar to what Hans needed. You know, he was in a kill shelter. He was at risk of losing his life. He needed a fresh start. And he also needed lots of treats and belly scratches. <laughs> Hans had his own journey before reaching Rochester. The kill shelter where he was found as a six-month-old puppy is in Conway, North Carolina. The South is a horrible place for animals. There's a lot of overbreeding, inbreeding, and they many of the shelters down there will kill more than 10 dogs a day. So literally, um, the dogs that are down there, cats too, um, are just being killed by hundreds, hundreds a day. So he, he was literally hours from death. That's Amy Holtz, a dog trainer who used to work with a rescue group that often brings dogs to Rochester from the southern states. Many of them are adopted by local families, but Amy had something special in mind when she met Hans. I know the emotional support that dogs give to me. I own four myself, and most of my friends own lots of dogs too, and I thought I saw this need here at the home and said, hey, um, let's let's bring veterans and dogs together. And it's pretty obvious that Hans loves these veterans at Richard's house, and they love him. Amy isn't surprised by the connection they have. Dogs know when people are hurting. They they can sense that. They can sense anger. They can sense pain, and they will draw themselves either to their best buddy or somebody that needs them that's unable to say so. Um, you can you can see in a, in a room full of dogs and people, you can always tell who's most upset. Especially, I have a couple dogs myself that are therapy dogs. They, one particular dog will go and move himself and sit 
the feet of the person who's most upset. So dog, dogs have a, a nice intuition as to who needs what. And that's not something you train them to do. That's you can't train that. That's born into them. And not every dog is fit for this job. So when I met Hans, I, I, uh, I saw his temperament, and I said, this is the dog that they're looking for. What did you see in his temperament? He, you know, you can see a lot in a dog's eyes. He's very soulful. He's very caring. Um, but he was also very strong. You know, there's a lot of dogs out there that come out of shelters that are very timid and afraid of noises or people or things. Um, Hans was a bit timid at first, um, but after a lot of training and taking him out into the streets and different places, he became very confident. Um, but yet not so confident and didn't love people so much that he was jumping on them because there's that fine line that you don't want to cross. You don't want the really excited dog that can go for miles and jump on people. Um, so he would just come and be there, which is, which is important. Before he came to live at the veterans' residence, Hans had some work to do to get ready for his new job. He went through a canine good citizen training, he went through basic training, and then he did a lot of community training where he was on train tracks, in grocery stores, um, lots of trips to Sam's Club, you know, all these places that he could go, ride in vehicles safely, be around people, and be okay to be approached by people, but not being that dog that was reaching out to say hi to people because there's a big difference you know you don't you don't want a dog that's trained to work that doesn't say hi without being asked to. Alec Andrist is the residential manager here at Richard's house. He says Hans's presence in this place has made all the difference for some of the guys. There's been times that over an auto house which is uh, right next door to Richard's house uh, some of the guys you know they've they've just their anxiety has been really high um, and they've been able to you know, with permission from us, come over and uh, let them spend the night with them. And they just, I mean, they're a completely different person the next day. Jake Dronzuski agrees. Jake is an Air Force veteran who works full-time for the Veterans Outreach Center, taking care of the maintenance needs at the two residences. You could have had the worst day of your life, and that dog will still be wagging its tail when it hears your car pull up, when it hears the keys jingling, when that door opens, they're there. And, and they love you regardless. You could be a stranger. They're still happy to meet you. So it's just, it's so great because a lot of guys have been through a lot, you know, a lot of trauma. And to have that, that pet that's always going to love you is great. Austin, the veteran we met a few minutes ago, is excited about moving into his own apartment at the auto house next door. It's the last step before he moves into a place of his own and transitions into civilian life as a barber. Just the month I've been here, the, the amount of stuff I've accomplished and um, my case manager and Alec, um, the directors, helped me with is incredible. Like, I, I mean, I can't even believe it. it. Every day I'm surprised with something new that uh, gets brought my way. It's a, it's a complete blessing being here. So, Amy, the woman who saved Hans's life and brought him here to Richard's house, has a big smile on her face. My heart is full when I see the work he's doing here and the guys' faces, the smile, the stress relief. Um, it's, I, I just see, I see peace, peace and joy. I love that story. Smiles all in the studio. Mm -hmm. John Andrus, our engineer, smiling. Great job by my <laughs> colleague there, Beth Adams. If you want to hear more about Hans, Lynette Loomis wrote a book about his life and work with veterans. It's called Hans, the Journey of a Kill Shelter Puppy and Homeless Veterans. And you can find that on Amazon. And all of the proceeds will fund the veteran residential program. So you can find that on Amazon. Dr. Raven, we heard a lot about Hans's temperament in that story and how temperament is so important for therapy mm -hmm. dog work. 
if someone has a dog who may not seem like the ideal fit at first, but they're really interested in trying to get the dog to be a therapy dog, what would you tell them? Are there different outlets where they can help train the dog's behavior in certain ways? Or are there, certain dogs just not meant for this kind of work? There are some dogs that are unfortunately just not meant for that kind of work. Um, like she was talking about the very excitable dogs that like to jump all over people. You know, unless you're willing to put the work in really to train your dog and to um, stopping those behaviors, um, you know, just some of them are not are not fit for that. Uh, there is, I believe, a test um, that some of them can yeah. go through. Um, I don't know exactly where where they can find that information, but um, most of them do need to go through that test. They obviously need a clean bill of health as well, usually from their veterinarian. Um, but you know, it's a really it's a really nice thing. I have a couple patients that are that are um, therapy dogs. It's it's a very specific type of dog. Mm-hmm. You know, the one that can just stand there, wag its tail, but likes to be approached and likes to be pet. And um, you know, and every dog is like that. My own particular dog is not really a dog that would be fit for that. She um, is very cautious of new people, and you know those are not really the dogs that you want. You want the people that are the the dogs that are very open to new people. So, I had a golden mm-hmm. retriever who passed away in January mm-hmm. when he was eight, but no, he was I'm a sorry. therapy dog. Thanks. Mm-hmm. He was a therapy dog before he passed, and mm-hmm. throughout his whole life, I never thought that he might be a good candidate for that. Mm-hmm. But as he got older, his mm-hmm. personality changed. He became very mellow, mm-hmm. very loving. Wanted to. Goldens are usually that way, yes, anyway. Definitely. But mm-hmm. um, he went through classes with TDI Therapy Dogs International. Mm-hmm. And there are opportunities locally. So listeners, if you're interested, Mm -hmm. it's just a quick Google search. But there's also Delta, which is another therapy Mm -hmm. dog organization. And I think they have one at Lollipop Farms. So there are options out there. but is it common for dogs' personalities to change later in life? They can, yeah. A lot of times as they outgrow their puppy stage, they can mellow out just like your dog did. Uh, that's that's pretty common. Some don't. <laughs> Some be- are, you know, uh, pretty excitable throughout their entire lives almost till the very end. But, um, yeah, they can definitely chill out a little bit as they get older. Um you know, but it's. I think it's very important when they're puppies. You know, if that's something that you're interested in, get them started early. Get them into puppy classes, socialize them, get them into new experiences around new people and other dogs. That's the important thing. A lot of dogs we're seeing nowadays just lack that socialization in their early puppy stages, and that can really affect their personality throughout their lives. The more new experiences they have, the less fearful they are as they get older, and the more confident and comfortable they are. And that's the important thing. So that's definitely something I'd get them started young if that's something that you're interested in. Great. Mm-hmm. We had a question from Joanne in Greece about mm-hmm. uh, dogs' personalities. She says, do dogs normally get neurotic with age, separation anxi- anxiety specifically? Mm-hmm. So along the same lines, but yeah. this time... Uh, Yeah, sure. It can depend. I mean, some things we're seeing because our care is so much better with with dogs and cats nowadays, they're living longer, just like with people. So we're seeing conditions that we may not have seen 10, 15, 20 years ago. Something that we're seeing a lot more commonly now is what we call canine cognitive dysfunction, kind of like doggy dementia. So, Mm -hmm. you know, yes, you can see more neurotic behavior developing as they get older because they're more nervous. They they don't understand where they are, just like people with, with Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, so yes, things like that can change. A lot of times we'll, we'll try to change their diet, um, supplement omega-3s and more fatty acids and things like that. Sometimes we have to resort to anti-anxiety medication. Um, so that, that can happen. And a lot depends on the experiences they have throughout their lives. So if they 
um, you know, have experiences that make them more nervous and it reinforces that neurotic behavior, it, it can get worse if you're not doing the work with them to make them feel more comfortable. And that something that really, really helps is that positive reinforcement. Constantly um, telling them it's okay, but not just so much that. They, they don't even understand that so much. It's the treat reinforcement, the mm. food reinforcement. Most of the time, dogs need to have that reinforcement to say that, oh, well, that scary situation happened, but the whole time I got this really awesome treat that I love. So, okay, it doesn't make me so scared anymore. It's not so bad. Right? Exactly. You know, I had a patient come in once. At first, she was lunging and growling and barking at me. I couldn't get anywhere near her, but she was very treat motivated. She loved food. So every time she came in, and she had allergies and uh, bad skin, so she was coming in quite frequently. Every time she came in, I gave her treats, and she loved the treats. And now I can pet her. I can do anything I want to her because she says, okay, you're not so scary anymore because every time I see you, I get a ton of treats, and I love them. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the kind of work that you want to do you know, with your pets to try to prevent them from making those neurotic things a lot worse. Great. I think we have another call. Uh, let's mm -hmm. see. Oh, Bonnie in Rochester has a comment about emotional support dogs. Hi, Bonnie. Yeah, hi. Uh, yeah, I thought this might be a good time to call. <clears throat> um, I, I'm going to assume you, you know, folks know something about this, but emotional support animals as a particular category for people who have often related to developmental disabilities or mental health issues that is different than a service dog. Um, it's uh, sanctioned legally in the American Disabilities Act and Fair Housing Act. But the problem is this, that when you go to um, uh, rent uh, and you do your lease, most leases have a no-pet policy uh, component. And in that no-pet policy component, there is no reference at all to an option for emotional support animals uh, in terms of, you know, something that would reference, you know, you could qualify for this. You have to kind of qualify for it first, but there's no reference. So people who are looking for apartment, of course, end up having to sign this, even if they might be eligible for this, you know, emotional support animal. And when I pursued this with um, some of the legal folks and stuff, uh, they generally, you know, agree with what I'm saying in terms of a problem. But there's nothing going on to correct it, really. I mean, mm -hmm. in the law, it's in the law, it's in the housing authority stuff, but there's nothing on leases that refer to it. So, like most people, you don't know what you don't know. So, um, I'm just I'm calling to know, you know, kind of make this more known, and perhaps people who are listening and people who deal with uh, animals, and also the issue of. Uh, veterans, you know, because I'm sure a lot of them would be at some point renting maybe, mm -hmm. um, something should be done. Um, you, we, you know, uh, could be a meeting uh, with a housing authority uh, right. who is the local version of the federal HUD uh, system. So Bonnie, I, so, I got to jump in done. just so... Go ahead. Thank you. Yes, thank you, def definitely. And I think that's something that we can probably explore for a future episode of Unleash. So thanks for bringing that to the table. Dr. Raven, do you have any thoughts on that issue? Yeah, well, I think a lot of the renting policies, it has to do with the insurance that the that the, um, um, that that particular housing has. And unfortunately, there are quite a few breeds on many of these insurance companies' lists that are restricted. Mm -hmm. I myself had that issue. I live in a rented property um, with my 
husband and our dog and cat. Um, and, you know, yeah, you do have to look around to find a place that will allow you to have those pets. And it can be difficult, unfortunately, but I think a lot of that has to do with the insurance, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they can be a liability, you know, even if there are they are good dogs and um, they're well behaved. Unfortunately, they can just be a, a liability for them. So that's right. that's definitely part of the issue. And I think it's important to stress that um, dogs that help people cope with emotional issues mm-hmm. are different than service dogs. Mm-hmm. So you can't bring an emotional support dog into a supermarket, for example, but right. you can bring a service dog in. So mm-hmm. there are definite differences that we can talk about and explore in future episodes of this program. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Bonnie, for bringing that to light. I've got to go to another break, but it's a short one. So stay with us. This is Unleash the Pet Show on Connections. And of course, if you have a question about your pet's health, you can call us at 844-295-TALK. That's 844-295-8255. Or if you're in Rochester, you can call us at 263-WXXI. That's 263-9994. You can also tweet your question to hashtag Unleashed or to me at MacMedia. And you can also email your question to connections at WXXI.org. So short break, and when we come back, we'll talk to the founder of Pet Peace of Mind. It's a nonprofit that's working to reunite people in hospice care with their pets and provide the care these pets need at home. So stay with us. More Unleashed is next. Coming up in our second hour, it's Second Opinion Live, and we're bringing back a listener favorite, Food, Fact, or Fiction. It's your chance to talk about food, nutrition, and diet with our experts, Dr. Roger Oskwig and Dr. Lou Papa from the University of Rochester Medical Center. We'll discuss everything from Thanksgiving meals to probiotics to weight loss. It's your chance to ask questions next on Second Opinion Live. This is WXXI AM Rochester, WRUR-FM and HD Rochester, WEOS-FM and HD Geneva, and WXXI-FM HD2 Rochester. Support for your public radio station comes from our members and from Natural Pet Foods Company, helping people make diet choices for their pets, offering frozen and grain-free foods and foods for pets with special needs. 766 Clinton Avenue in the South Wedge, naturalpetfoodscompany.com. And All Cats Care Center, a full service feline veterinary hospital offering medical and surgical care and boarding. All Cats Care Center, where cats come first. More online at allcatscarecenter.com. Welcome back to Unleash the Pet Show. I'm Megan Mack, sitting in for Evan Dawson today. Our next story came to us by way of our friends at WRVO Public Media in Oswego, and it's about a national organization called Pet Peace of Mind. It's a nonprofit that works with local hospice facilities to keep patients at the end stages of life connected with their pets. Now, if you've ever owned a pet, you know that they are more than just animals. They're part of your family. And research has shown that the human-animal bond improves people's lives and emotional states. And for some diagnosed with terminal illness, that unconditional love of a pet can provide a kind of peace and comfort that can't be matched. But what happens to pets when their owners go into hospice care, either at home or outside the home? Families may not be able to have the time or the finances to care for those pets because they're focused on the patient. And sometimes these pets end up in shelters. So Pet Peace of Mind is trying to change that. And joining us now on the phone is Diane McGill, the founder and president of Pet Peace of Mind. Hi, Diane. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Megan. It's a delight to be with you today. Thank you. So listeners, I just want to add that you can ask Diane your questions as well. She's agreed to be on the line for as long as we need her. So if you want to call us, that's 844-295-TALK, 844-295-8255, and feel free to ask her your questions. But let's start off, Diane, by just talking about the program itself. Why did you first start it, and how does it work? 
The reason for starting Pet Peace of Mind is that there was a huge gap in the animal welfare care world. Um, there are lots and lots of shelters. There are many fine programs that care for pets under challenging circumstances. But there was a huge, huge gap in the care area of helping hospice patients care for their pets. Now, it works through local hospices. We provide, as the national organization, we provide local hospices with the operating model, all the training they need to start the program, and all of the instruction and materials to operate the program so that we offer them a true turnkey solution to be able to get the program running in the community and then staff it with local volunteers. So is this just for hospice homes or is the service available to people who are getting hospice care in their own homes? Uh, both, actually. We, the program model is designed to adapt to any circumstance in the patient's lifestyle. So, indeed, if, if a patient is in a hospice home, the care services are delivered directly on site. But if the patient is at home and, um, you know, has got a pet, sometimes, and especially with patients who are at home, Sometimes it's the caregiver that's most overwhelmed with adding one more thing to the list. I mean, the patient needs that pet there for emotional support and loves that family member um, and wants, you know, the pet by their side through end of life. But the, the responsibilities for caring for the pet's daily needs often fall on the caregiver. And as a patient's illness really ramps up, caregivers be, quickly become really overwhelmed with working taking care of a pet into that equation as well. So Pet Peace of Mind, obviously, at the home level, uh, is designed to aid both the patient and the patient's caregiver. So let's talk a little bit about that emotional support. You have a great video on your website that I had a chance to watch, and it's a very emotional video. And there are a few personal stories in there that I want to highlight. And one is about an elderly man who's featured there and he and his wife were both receiving care, but his wife passed away, and then his dog actually was taken out of the, the home, correct? Can you tell us yes. that story? He, he uh, did not have anyone to help care for his pet. He was alone and grieving, and he also was near end of life with his own illness. And uh, the hospice had no way to care for the pet. There were no pet care services in place. Um, the man had no family nor a local caregiver that was helping him out. And you know, the hospice was just overwhelmed with what to do. And they eventually needed to put the pet in a shelter. And the day after they put the pet in the shelter and they came to visit their patient, he was stroking an imaginary dog and just staring at the TV. Mm. And he died very shortly thereafter. And that is the kind of story that helps people really understand that that bond, even at end of life, is never, ever weakened um, just because a patient is sick. So Pet Peace of Mind offers a really practical solution. You know, the, the program isn't necessarily a, a huge revelation the program is formalizing a way for hospices to care for patients' pets in a practical way with solutions in place when the need arises. You know, hospices face this program all the time. 
So Pet Peace of Mind delivers the solution so that when that does come up, they've got a way to deal with it, and it's a way that's seamless and painless and best for the patient, caregiver, and pet. I want to bring Dr. Stephanie Raven into the conversation as well and talk about how the pets themselves are feeling. We had a question from Roger in Brighton, and he would like to know, do dogs mourn the loss of another pet or a person, and can they sense that a person is suffering or ill? Absolutely. Um, I think that is something that, you know, maybe they don't understand that they've passed on or where they are, but they definitely sense the the absence of them in the household. Um, You know, and they'll have an adjustment period just like a person would. Um, They have to get used to the person or the other pet not being there. And especially if they were close throughout their lives and they spent most of their lives together. um, Yeah, it can definitely be a traumatic type experience for them. So I think this kind of program is is pretty awesome. That can keep the pet with, with the owner if possible. And one of the other really important components of Pet Peace of Mind is that many, many hospice patients will not let go until they know that their pet is going to another loving home. Uh, We have countless stories like that from all across the nation. So the, the component in the Pet Peace of Mind program that alleviates that for the patient is that we teach the hospice how to build foster and adoption networks within the community so that patients can pass in peace, knowing that their pet is going to go to another forever home. Diane, I know we probably have people who are listening and are really interested in the service. How would they sign up? And I know there there aren't too many hospices in upstate New York who are part of the program yet, but you have a lot in the works. So can you tell us how somebody would get signed up and what the process is like? Well, the exciting news, I um, right in Rochester, the UR Medicine Home Care and Hospice Visiting Nurse Service is in sort of the final stretch of program startup. Their program will be going live after the first of the year. So for anyone who's interested in volunteering for the program, feel free to visit the, our Pet Peace of Mind website, petpeaceofmind.org, and just send us an email, and we will connect you to the right people um, for, you know, the, the person who's going to be managing the volunteer recruitment for the program. So it's a very exciting thing. And then, of course, for other listeners who may be in other parts of upstate New York, we have partners in Albion, Corning, Lakewood, and Lockport who already have programs that are up and running. So feel free to reach out to them directly, um, and their links are also right on our website. Great. Diane, thank you so much. Let's give us the website again, please, just in case someone didn't have a pen to take it down. Petpeaceofmind.org. Great. And we will post that on our Unleashed webpage as well, along with our podcast. So if you're listening and you didn't quite catch it, we will have a link on our page. Diane, thank you so much for joining us. Yes. President and founder of Pet Peace of Mind. We hope to hear more from you in the future. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Dr. Stephanie Reagan from Stone Ridge Veterinary Hospital. Are you familiar with these types of programs, or do you have your patients asking about any? I personally have not had anybody asking about this yet, but I do have a couple um, clients who have gone into nursing homes, and some of the nursing homes in the area will actually allow them to bring their pets with them, um, which I think is really nice. Um, But for the most part, I think those people are still able to care for themselves and care for the pet at this point. So, um, But I think that kind of program is, is, is awesome. We have a couple more listener questions Mm -hmm. before we run out of time today. This one comes in an email from Bryn, 
And Bryn says, I recently adopted a pit mix who was involved in a cruelty case. He's one of the most loyal, loving dogs ever. He's on anxiety medication due to his separation anxiety. However, he seems to react to other dogs like barking or pulling or crying while on the leash. If he's off the leash, he's completely fine. Any explanations for this behavior and how to reduce it? Mm -hmm. We're working towards the good citizen test, and we need to be able to ignore other dogs until Mm -hmm. I grant permission to interact with them. Sure. This is a very common issue. It's called leash aggression. Um, Basically, your dog feels like it's trapped when it's on the leash and feels that these other dogs can potentially be aggressive or or, um, threatening to them. Um, And it goes back to what I had touched on previously about that positive reinforcement. Um, When you're out on a walk and you have your dog on a leash, bring a very high value treat with you, something that your dog can absolutely not turned down under any circumstance. And when you're passing by another dog on the street, you have your dog focus on you and that treat the whole time you're walking by. And of course, if your dog does well and focuses on you and the treat, they get the treat. Um, And again, every time you're out there, you're walking by a new dog, um, you have to reinforce it every single time. You have to have those treats with you every single time. And again, it's it's, it's the idea that you are making that other new threatening dog less of a threat to them so that they become more confident and less fearful of that other dog. Um, so it's just something you, it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. It'll take work, but it's worth it. And if you're persistent with it, you should be able to make your dog more confident um, and, and less likely to react in that kind of situation. I mean, the other thing you can do is wrap a yellow band or something around your dog's leash. There's a whole initiative of people um, putting yellow, some kind of yellow something on the leash or the halter just to signify that your dog is fearful and could potentially be leash aggressive so that other people are not bringing up their dog directly up to your dog's face because that could potentially um, end up in a in a bad situation um, and just tells it to tells them to be cautious you know at least until you have a chance to work with your dog great we have another question about ticks we talked mm-hmm. about this early in the hour mm-hmm. we're down to our last few minutes so we'll keep it brief but mm-hmm. Jean would like to know is your guesting an increase in reports of ticks on dogs she's seeing more of them than ever on her two dogs. They use a monthly topical protection, but she's concerned. Mm -hmm. Both are scheduled for Lyme disease testing since we did find a deer tick on our garage floor. Mm -hmm. So just a quick recap of our Absolutely. We are seeing a serious increase in the amount of ticks in the area. Um, You know, we never used to see ticks in the area, but with the weather changing slightly and it becoming warmer um, in this part of the country, the ticks have started moving up from the south. Um, and with it, they're carrying the Lyme disease, um, which is actually caused by a bacteria that called Borrelia burgdorferii that the tick carries inside of them. Um, so yes, we are seeing, I mean, I think even a couple of years ago, we were only seeing a few animals test positive for Lyme disease during the year. And now I think we've seen like a 500% increase or something serious like that, um, you know, of the the ticks in the area. There is a website, I believe, run by IDEX, I-D-E-X-X, that you can actually research the amount of tick, uh, dogs that are testing positive for Lyme disease in the area. But absolutely, we're, we're seeing an increase, and that's why we're recommending year-round tick prevention. Um, definitely something that your veterinarian would carry would probably be a better product. But like I said, nothing is 100% perfect. So definitely checking them over and getting those ticks off as soon as you see them is, is the best kind of prevention. 
listeners, we had so many questions about food and diet and nutrition that we weren't able to get to. And I just wanted to say I appreciate you sending those, and we will definitely work them in into future episodes of this program because they are all great questions, and I know you're concerned about your pets. So stand by for next month, and we'll answer some of those. But I'd like to thank Dr. Stephanie Raven from Stone Ridge Veterinary Hospital for being here today. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. It was a great time. And you can let us know what you think about Unleashed by tweeting us at hashtag Unleashed. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Unleashed Pet Show. And if you have a story about a pet or an animal that you know, maybe one about service, heroics, or second chances, please email your idea to unleashed at wxxi.org. Or you can send us a message through Facebook. And you can hear Unleashed at noon on the third Friday of every month. In our next hour, it's Second Opinion Live. And back by popular demand, we're talking about food, fact or fiction. We'll answer your questions about nutrition, diet, and those turkey questions about Thanksgiving. But all people this time are moving away from pets. So stay with us for more connections next. <laughs>